On behalf of Copeland Financial Ministries, I would like to welcome you to the Advanced Biblically-Based Estate Planning Workshop Series. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom is a chartered professional accountant and the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries. Tom's Financial Moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. For more information, check out copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance. Now, here's Tom teaching what the Bible says on estate planning. I'd like to welcome you to Session 5 on the topic of giving. This is part of the Advanced Biblically-Based Estate Planning Workshop Series, of which there's seven sessions. The objective of this session is to learn to give generously to God's work and experience the joy of giving, both currently in the process as you give currently and also in the process of preparing your estate plan. Here's some of the key biblical principles. God wants us to focus on eternal values, not temporal things. And giving to God's works allows you to convert a temporal asset such as money into something of eternal benefit. That's an important point. Giving to God's work allows you to convert something of a temporal asset such as money into something eternal in nature. Just think of it as you give to God's work and uh, some, even one person comes to know Christ a thousand years from now, that's going to be incredibly important. Uh, anything that you buy while you're on this earth, five or ten years it will be worn out and shortly after you die it will be of no importance to you, that's for sure. So here's an overview of what God's Word says on giving. What instruction does God give to us in the following scriptures? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. What are the first fruits? The first fruits, I believe, what the scripture is referring to here is God wants us to make giving to His work a priority. If you don't give to God the first fruits, then what happens? God gets the leftovers, which are usually small. In other words, a lot of Christians give God the leftovers. He buys what she wants, she buys what she wants. They accumulate often buy things they don't need on, with debt. They accumulate debt. And what happens? The debt goes up, the giving goes down. And so often what people do, they make, they're basically selfish. They, they buy what they want first and then they give God the leftovers. And God's saying the opposite. We need to make giving to His work a priority. And I also say that the second point is considered a privilege and a joy to give to God's work. That is, have a biblical mindset. The truth is God doesn't need our money to accomplish His work. It's a privilege and a joy to be able to give to God's work, but never forget, God is the greatest giver of all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The third point, what did Christ admonish us to do in Matthew chapter 6? This is pretty clear. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So think about that for a minute. What's a treasure in heaven and what's a treasure on earth? Just think about that. Here's my answer. I believe a treasure in heaven represents those things that we will treasure when we get to heaven, such as the salvation of people and the rewards that God promises to his faithful servants. Remember Matthew, parable of the talents, when the master after a long time came back and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't that the words you want to hear when you get to heaven? And how you manage money is an important part of that. But a treasure on earth represents those things that we tend to value when we're here on earth 
but they're very temporary in nature, which would include money and material things. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world, we shall take nothing out of it. A split second after we die, we're going to realize how temporary money and material things are. The next point I'd like to make is to focus on the eternal and not the temporal. As Christians, we are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20, as Paul talked about, and therefore heaven, not the earth, is our home. That's why God wants us to use money and material things for eternal purposes rather than for temporal purposes. So again, one way of converting a temporal asset into something of eternal value is to give it to God's work and uh, trust the Lord to bless accordingly, and He will. The next point I like to make is give generously. Jesus said, given it will be given unto you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The more you give to God's work with the right heart, the more God will entrust to you. It's true that you cannot outgive God. I'm not teaching a prosperity gospel here, but I do know this, as God's servants show that they're good stewards of what God's entrusted to them, they're content to live within God's provision and God gives them more and they make giving to God's work a priority, the probabilities are very high that God's going to bless you financially. Now, he may not; those blessings could be non-financial. They could be in terms of good health, good relationship with your spouse, your kids. Uh, God can bless us in so many ways. But one thing that's clear, Jesus said, given it shall be given unto you. God, God is saying that we are to give generously. I find too often that Christians stop at giving 10%, but the guideline in Scripture is, is, is otherwise. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, God wants us to be generous givers, and the exact amount or percentage will vary for each Christian according to God's will and in light of the income that God has entrusted to you. When we enter into the presence of the Lord, as I mentioned earlier, and um, there's going to be a day of accountability. And Romans 14:12 says, so then each of us will give account of himself to God. So here's a question. Will God reward generous givers? The absolute truth is yes. In Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. Then He will reward each person according to what they have done. And as Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And here's a powerful verse, Matthew chapter 19. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. Think about that. As we give up something while we're here on earth, God's going to give us a hundredfold return uh, in eternity in heaven. And uh, so that's, that's so important. So be encouraged as God will reward generous givers. The next point I'd like to make is that we need to give cheerfully with the right heart. Paul said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'd say this, if you have to grit your teeth when you're giving, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to stop, actually stop giving, pray and ask God to change your heart, because it's the heart that God looks at. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord, Proverbs 16, 2. So just ask God to change your heart. God can change your heart, and ask Him to give you a heart that, that uh, wants to give generously to his work and, and help other people out. So here's a question. Why does God bless us financially? Why, think about that. Why, do, why has God blessed us financially? Why would he do that? And if he hasn't done that already, why would he do that in the future? 
Here's the answer. It's provided in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now he, which is God, who supplies seed to the sower, that's individual Christians, and bread for food will also supply and increase our store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. Now you may stop. Let's stop here for a minute. You may say, like, why? Why would you be made rich? Uh, so you can spend what you get on your pleasures? No, that's not what the scripture says. It continues in verse 11. So that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, as we give to God's work, it's a witness and a testimony, an encouragement to other Christians. It's a testimony to the world. And God, God is giving us and blessing us so that we can give generously to others. I like what Randy Alcorn says. As God raises your, your income, don't use a higher income in order to increase your standard of living, but rather use a higher income to increase your standard of giving. So here's a summary of the eight points above. God wants us to give generously and sacrificially to his work as a result of our love and obedience and trust in him. Then you will experience the joy of giving. In light of what God has done for us, providing eternal life through his son Jesus Christ, and in light of God's financial blessings, how could we as Christians not be willing to give generously and sacrificially to God's work? I'd like to now talk about that's the general principles on giving in the Bible. That's an overview. Uh, there's a lot more in the scriptures, but that's a quick overview. I'd like to talk about generous uh, giving in an estate planning context, because that's what this series is about, biblically-based estate planning. In other words, how do these biblical principles apply as a Christian prayerfully considers their estate planning, including preparation of their wills? I got several points here. The first, consider giving a portion of your assets to God's work while you are living. You don't have to leave it all till after you die. Give a portion while you're living. Although it's biblical to save, Luke 14, 28 to 30, Christ admonished us to save for future needs in the parable of the, the tower. And some of those future needs can be retirement, kids' education, uh, etc. But don't accumulate significantly more than are necessary. Some people have, have crossed the finish line and, and sometimes they don't even realize it. In the parable of the reached fool, in Luke chapter 12, Christ warned against hoarding. Remember the, uh, the parable of that, that rich fool in Luke chapter 12? He was a farmer who was blessed with a large crop one year. And rather than looking up and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with this tremendous blessing? He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones, bigger ones, and then I'm going to store everything up for myself, and I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And Christ called him a fool, and, and uh, because who's going to get what you've accumulated for yourself because your very soul could be demanded. In other words, you could die very shortly. And uh, so he was a fool in terms of hoarding, and God doesn't want us to hoard. So one thing that's important is we need to project family needs and prayerfully consider giving some surplus uh, while you're living. And why do you want to do some giving while you're living? I think of four key points. Assets given pursuant to your will, they really don't require any personal sacrifice. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, 1 Timothy 6. Secondly, God will bless generous givers currently, as we talked about in Luke 6, 38, where Jesus said, given it will be given to you. That's all in the present tense. And the third point, God promises eternal rewards to those who give generously while they're here on earth. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul said, Command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So bottom line is, I like, like, I like what Ron Blue says, do your giving while you're living so you know where it's going. Um, so you need to calculate, do you have enough for retirement? And if you do, then start doing giving out of the capital as well as the income. 
The second thing is to prayerfully consider giving to God's work in your children where there's needs. 1 Timothy 5.8 talks about providing for the needs of one's own family. Generally retain only what you and your family will need to live on for the rest of your life. Ask God to show you how much is enough. In summary, project future family needs and give the surplus to God. Don't hoard. The third point I'd like to make here is to transfer wisdom before you transfer wealth. This is within, with respect to your children, typically your heirs. It's so important with respect to your kids and, your, and any heirs that you're including in your will to teach them God's wisdom in managing money before you transfer wealth. In Proverbs 17, 16, it says, Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? And I, I've seen, and I've been in public accounting now for 42 years, and I've seen so many cases where parents leave lots of amounts of money to their kids, and if they don't manage money well currently, they're going to squander mom and dad's money, and you don't want to allow that to happen. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And the second thing is, if your kids mismanage money, don't bail them out. Um, bailing them out enables them to continue with their worldly management of money. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16? He was faithful with a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. In other words, if they mismanage their money, they're going to mismanage your money if you give it to them after you die. So you, there's, there's ways to deal with that, and we'll talk about that shortly. Above all, teach them God's way of managing money. That's Teaching your kids God's way of managing money is way more important than leaving them uh, a large estate. It really is, because that sets them up for life. If you leave them a large estate and they don't manage money well, they're likely going to squander it and end up in financial difficulty in five to ten years after you die. The next point I'd like to make is prayerfully consider the impact uh, to the beneficiaries of your will. If you have a large estate, uh, leaving a large estate to children can actually ruin their lives. It can enable laziness, selfishness, lack of perseverance, and they can actually turn and start trusting in wealth rather than in God. A beneficiary's current management of money reveals how they will likely use any inheritance, as I talked about earlier. Remember, it's all God's money, and as a steward of His money, be sure to do God's will. And with respect to the large estates, I think of a businessman um, I dealt with several years ago. His, his estate was worth about $30 million, and he did something I think was very wise. He decided he was going to give $1 million to each of his three children, uh, that leaves $27 million. He was going to allocate the balance to the Lord's work. Now, obviously, he was going to provide enough for his wife. Um, the money was going to go to her if she survived him, but both his husband and wife had decided each kid gets $1 million apiece, and the balance goes to God's work. And that's, that's a pretty significant amount of money when you, when you think about it, and quite a blessing. But he, didn't, uh, he could have easily done what most people did and just divided his estate a third, a third, a third amongst his three kids. But he didn't do that because he learned through just experience. He learned how to trust God and he learned how to, uh, he had to learn how to manage money. And he didn't want to make it so his kids um, perhaps would become lazy or selfish or, or um, start trusting in wealth. The next point I'd like to make is consider giving generously to God's work while you're alive. Then allocate a significant portion to the Lord's work in your will. In this way, you will build up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. And don't feel you have to give equal amounts to each child. Interesting, God doesn't do that. If you look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, it says, To one he gave five talents of, of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. So bottom line is God doesn't, uh, and that's real life, God doesn't give the same amount to all of us. And we'll be talking, we talked previous in, in more detail in a previous session about some of the things you should consider with respect to allocating the amounts to your, your kids. Now, it may that God may direct you to allocate equal amounts, 
but you don't have to do that. That's the psychology I'm trying to break here. And uh, here's a question. Can you think of different circumstances that would merit uh, giving your children different amounts of money? Can you think of different circumstances that would merit them giving amounts, different amounts of money? Here's my answer. I think you need to consider the unique circumstances of each child. One child may have greater legitimate needs. For example, one child may be disabled. And if that's the case, think of uh, 1 Timothy 5.8. If a man does not provide for the needs of his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So I think if you have a disabled child, I think that one of the priorities in your will is to make sure that you have enough to cover their needs, which means you may not be allocating as much to your other kids. Uh, but that's, that's, that's biblical. Also, you could have a child that's a terrible money manager. And if that's the case, based on the parable of the talents, there's actually an argument to, to uh, allocate less to them. We discuss that in more detail in a further, question, further session. But even if you feel led to allocate the same amount to them, consider options such as using a trust or annuity uh, in order to prevent them from squandering all the money shortly after you die and also to protect them from their own bad money management skills. We talked more about that in a, in a previous session. And ask God to reveal to you through prayer and His Spirit, His Word, what He wants you to do with the assets that He's entrusted to you. And obviously, if you have a child that manages money God's way, you need to factor that in. Maybe you give them more. Uh, I don't know. You have to discern what God wants you to do, but these are factors that you need to consider. Most couples don't even think that way. They just give an equal amount to each child. And if one child squanders the money, after they die, so be it. Using the trust or annuity is, is a wise thing to do to protect that child from their bad money management skills. So how much is enough to, for retirement? Sometimes Christians, I find, save more than they need for retirement. And I'm going to provide some guidelines on calculating how much is enough for retirement. Among other reasons, once you've crossed the finish line, it's very biblical to do your giving while you're living. So God can bless you uh, while you're here on earth and you will enjoy rewards in heaven. Hence, uh, this ties into estate planning. So how much is enough for retirement? Uh, here's, here's the big picture of, of what to do in order to determine how much you need for retirement. How much is enough? Number one, determine your current financial needs using the Copeland budgeting system, especially form number five. Determine what you need. In other words, you look at your current budget and your expenditures. You project what it's, uh, the second thing you do, you project what your budget's going to look like in retirement. Uh, some expenses will go down. By then, you should have all your debts paid. You should have your mortgage paid. You shouldn't have any car loans. You don't want any debt when you go into retirement. And however, your income's probably going to drop. Some, of the, some expenses will be gone, presumably by then, such as putting your kids through school. But some expenses could go up, such as health care. So generally speaking, most couples and individuals need less in retirement than they do uh, while they're while they're um, working and raising kids. However, you need to project that. So to project and determine what you need in retirement, and then do some uh, calculations. Uh, there is an Excel schedule available on our website in terms of projecting what you need for retirement. And I'm going to talk about that in a case study in a few minutes. And uh, it can really, it's really important to project and determine what you need for retirement. And if you're not sure, you can always see a financial advisor. Let's deal with, um, with a case study here. This is the case study we're going to discuss uh, during this, uh, this particular session. Gina is a widow. She's 75 years of age, she's in good health, and she's retired. She has two adult children who manage money God's way. Gina and her late husband managed money according to God's financial principles, and over the years they saved a considerable amount for retirement. Excluding their home, Gina has a re retirement income fund of about $800,000, investments at the personal level of about $500,000. Gina has no debt. Her current annual income is as follows. From the retirement income fund, she gets $32,000 a year. The old, age, the old age security in the Canada Pension Plan is about $20,000 a year. Now, if you're in another country, just think in terms of what do you get from the government 
uh, in terms of pension. You could fill that number in. The investment income on the assets of $500,000, we're going to assume 4% going forward, a very conservative amount. She's in a balanced portfolio, and we're going to assume a, a conservative amount. It could be more. Now, it could be less if the markets go into the tank. But uh, let's assume a conservative amount of 4%. So on $500,000, that's $20,000. So her total income is about $72,000 a year, less taxes of about $7,000 a year. So she has after-tax income of about $60,000. Gina only needs about $50,000 a year to live on, including her donations to the, to the Lord's work. This lady and her husband have been tithing for a long time, and actually they're giving a little more than the 10%, and she's currently giving about $8,000 a year. The $50,000 a year includes her giving to the Lord's work, so she's living on about $42,000 a year, which is quite reasonable when a, when a couple is uh, totally debt-free, and uh, they've been managing money well. So she's got a surplus of about $10,000 a month. So here's a question. Do you think Gina should consider increasing her annual giving? If yes, by how much? And do you think she should give a portion of her assets, that's her capital, to the Lord's work before she dies? She give away part of her investments, for example. And if yes, how much? And provide some calculations. So I've done some calculations. I'll give you the overview, but right now I'm going to give you the overview, and then I'll go to the Excel data file in a, in a few minutes. I'd say, first of all, Gina needs to pray and discern exactly what God wants her to do because there's several options within the biblical guidelines. And we're going to give more um, details on discerning God's will in the next session, session um, the next session of this series. Uh, Gina has a surplus of cash flow each year of about $10,000, of which she should prayerfully consider giving at least a portion of that to the Lord's work. I'd say $5,000 or more. She could increase her giving by another $5,000 per year and not be hurt financially. Also, the surplus cash flow demonstrates that she does have investments beyond what she will likely need in order to live for the rest of her life. So if we assume a 4% return on investment, if you take 10,000, you divide it by 4%, that translates into about $250,000. And if you remember, she has about 1.3 million in, in between her retirement fund and her investment assets. So that means she could, uh, she could actually give away as much as 250,000 a year, sorry, $250,000 of her capital and end up with a little over a million dollars and still have plenty of income for retirement. Remember, this does not include her home. We've excluded the home because she doesn't want to sell it, at least at present. She wants to continue to live there as long as she can. So we're assuming that the house is not for sale. It's not available to generate investment income. So she could, she could give away a, a portion of her, her capital, and it, I'm calculating that to be about 250000 However, I'd say this. Gina's 75 years of age. She's retired. She's likely never going to work again. So she needs to be somewhat conservative to ensure that she has enough money for the rest of her life. For example, she may have to go into a nursing home later in life, and that can be quite expensive. And given that her health is good at age 75, she's likely going to live into about her mid-90s. If you look at the uh, actual statistics, she's in good health at 75. She's likely going to live into her mid-90s. Now, there's no guarantees, of course, but this lady could easily live another 15, 20 years. So she's got to be a bit conservative as to how much she gives away, but she does need to give away some of, of her capital, I believe. She needs to spend quality time with the Lord in prayer, reading God's Word, and asking God to direct her as to what she should do. I would suspect that she would not give away the full 250000 but perhaps she might consider giving away something like $100,000 out of her capital. Uh, this will still require some faith and trust in the Lord, and I, I think she should prayerfully consider something, something of that nature. And she's still going to she should still have plenty of, of income for retirement. Now, I'm going to go to the Excel data file in a minute, but I just want to give you some key scriptures. Here's some memory verses. Acts 20, 35, where Jesus said, 
Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that it, he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's key. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, if I had to pick one scripture that relates to giving, this is the one I would pick, where it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay, so if you look at this uh, schedule here, this is um, just a, an Excel data file calculating, uh, do you have enough for retirement? For this particular lady, Gina, she has a retirement income fund of about $800,000. She's got assets... Um, at the personal level, about $500,000 for a total of $1.3 million. We're not counting her home here because it's not for sale. We would factor that in at a later date if she did sell it. And uh, so if you at $1.3 million, if you assume a 4% return, uh, she's been earning about $52,000 per year. She's been receiving from her old age security about $7,000 per year. From her Canada pension plan, about $13,000 per year. So you can see the total there is about $72,000. Her projected tax liability is about $12,000 a year, so she has about $60,000 left over to work with. She only needs about $50,000 a year to live on, which includes $8,000 giving to the Lord's work. So she has a surplus of about $10,000. And uh, so as I mentioned earlier, she could certainly give a chunk of that away each year. I'd, I'd suggest $5,000 anyhow. And also the fact she has surplus cash flow indicates that she does have more capital than she needs. And if you did the calculation, you sort of worked it backwards, she's got about $250,000 more than she needs. That's very roughly how the calculation is done. And obviously, um, each person has to pray and discern what God wants them to do. So that's an overview of what um, God says on His Word about giving, especially as it applies to estate planning. And I would encourage you to, um, to prayerfully consider how God would uh, have you um, allocate um, the assets that He's entrusted to you uh, pursuant to your will, how you would allocate that. And certainly part of that is you want to give a portion of the Lord's work. You want to allocate some to your kids, obviously. Just prayer and ask God to uh, give you wisdom and direction. In the next session, I'm going to be talking more about discerning God's will in managing money, making the very specific uh, decisions. May the good Lord bless you. Father, I just pray that you'd put your mighty hand upon everyone um, listening to this show. I pray that you, through your word and your spirit, you would touch their hearts and um, make them, um, cause them to be doers of the word, not just hearers, and encourage them, Lord, to follow up and give them wisdom and direction in doing some biblically-based estate planning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Treasures on earth are things that we treasure while we are here on earth, but will be of no value in heaven. This would include money and material things that are used for selfish and temporary purposes. On the other hand, treasures in heaven represent things that we will treasure in heaven, such as the salvation of people and the rewards that God will give us based upon our stewardship of money while on earth. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. In summary, manage money and give generously with an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org. Or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance.